I don't have the Bible memorized just yet. So that sounds like that's a goal of yours. You are so safe. Listen, <laughs> Hi, friends. This is Under God. I'm Isaiah Lewis. And I'm Jackie Newsom. And we are two outsiders who are coming together to question the text and build community together. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Okay, so where are we today? First Corinthians chapter 2, the whole thing, 1 through 16. Not to be confused with 2 Corinthians. So there are two different books of the Bible with the name Corinthians, and we'll be reading from one. I did want to jump in, Isaiah, and say before we started, so when we last recorded, our last episode was recorded on, do you remember the date? Um, 126? I think that's right. After we finished recording, we learned that Kobe Bryant's helicopter had crashed, and he, along with his daughter and others in the helicopter, passed away. And from that moment forward, I have been, and I know a lot of folks in the faith community have been grappling specifically with the theology around death and dying and how to understand and how to mourn. And not only folks in the theological world, but folks in larger society are asking really tough questions in light of Kobe Bryant's death and in light of his young child's death and in light of the death of all of those folks who were in that helicopter. And so I just want to acknowledge that and create space for that during this episode, that those questions, those questions of God, those questions of society, those questions of why do bad things happen to good people are all valid, legitimate questions that don't make you any less of a believer. And they are questions that folks don't have answers to. And that's okay. I just think it's important that we create space and acknowledge that at the top of the show. Do we just read now? Yeah, let's let's read. I will start us off if that works for you. That'd be awesome. And I am going to close my eyes and I encourage listeners to close your eyes or play with reading along or not reading along. All right. So we are going to be reading again from 1 Corinthians and we're in chapter two and we're going to read the whole chapter. And I'm reading from the CEB. So that's the Common English Bible. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I didn't come preaching God's secrets like I was the expert in speech or wisdom. I had made up my mind not to think about anything while I was with you except Jesus Christ and to preach him as crucified. I stood in front of you with weakness, fear, and a lot of shaking. My message and my preaching weren't presented with convincing wise words, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power. I did this so that your faith might not depend on the wisdom of people, but on the power of God. What we say is wisdom to people who are mature. It isn't a wisdom that comes from the present day or from today's leaders who are being reduced to nothing. We talk about God's wisdom, which has been hidden as a secret. God determined this wisdom in advance, before time began, for our glory. It is a wisdom that none of the present-day rulers have understood, because if they did understand it, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. But this is precisely what is written. God has prepared things for those who love God that no eye has seen or ear has heard or that haven't crossed the mind of any human being. God has revealed these things to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, including the depths of God. 
Who knows a person's depths except their own spirit that lives in them? In the same way, no one has known the depths of God except God's spirit. We haven't received the world's spirit, but God's spirit, so that we can know the things given to us by God. These are the things we're talking about, not with words talked by human wisdom, but with words taught by the spirit. We are interpreting spiritual things to spiritual people. But people who are unspiritual don't accept the things from God's spirit. They are foolishness to them and can't be understood because they can only be comprehended in a spiritual way. Spiritual people comprehend everything, but they themselves aren't understood by anyone. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who will advise him? But we have the mind of Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now uh, we're going to take a moment just to pause and think about some words and phrases that stand out to us. So I have to admit that listening enabled me to think about ideas, but it makes it difficult for me to pick out words and phrases. So I do have to refer back to the text itself. So now I'm looking at it. Yeah, I definitely look down at the text whenever I'm doing this part too. I don't have the Bible memorized just yet, so. That sounds like that's a goal of yours. You are so saved. Listen, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm just teasing. So the first thing for me was like I was an expert in speech or wisdom, mm. like decrying, like being honest about the lack of expertise. Just the number of times the word spiritual shows up. Mm -hmm. Also, unspiritual people stresses me out a little bit. Yes. <laughs> Same. The word wisdom is everywhere. Faith. I did this so that your faith might not depend on the wisdom of people, but on the power of God. And then the power of God comes up again. Mm -hmm. The thing about if the leaders knew. Yeah, verse eight. It is a wisdom that none of the present day rulers have understood because if they understood it, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Yeah. We talk about God's wisdom, which has been hidden as a secret. Yeah. That also stressed me out. Yeah. Yeah. This is a stressful passage. I, I have to admit, uh, I picked this from the lectionary readings because, number one, it's sometimes people talk about this as like the writer, Paul, some of his greatest hits are in here. So that's one reason. The other reason is because it is very confusing and very stressful to me. So I wanted to talk it out with you. The greatest hits comment is, is my favorite because <laughs> that is so true. Like once you start reading, like as soon as you started reading, I was like, ah, here go, Paul. And it's, yep. it's, it is just, yes, yes. Like the things that people quote at church are all up and through here. And I'm like, oh Lord, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what is Paul talking about? Mm -hmm. I would like to get on my Paul soap box. So here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing. All right. I'm ready. Here's my thing with Paul. Okay. Paul has a very strong bias. There is something very important at stake for him every time he writes anything that he writes about god what he writes about jesus what he writes about faith like the stakes are really high for him why 
because this was a man who was out here just shanking believers left and right just just (laughs) like slashing folks with swords okay (laughs) and then claims to have this experience where his life is totally turned around and he believes and so in order to make him not look ridiculous like he has to go hard for the kingdom like he has to go hard and he feels some type of way because he never met Jesus. He's not one of the disciples. He wasn't rolling, right, with the fish and the loaves. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't on a boat freaking out when Jesus was asleep. No, he comes a long, long, long time after that. And so he is really trying to make himself valuable. I think he has some real concerns about his legitimacy. And that is often projected into what he writes and what he says. That's my tea on Paul. Like, for me, it's like we have to take what he says with a grain of salt. We have to, because there's so much at stake for him. Because if he's wrong, or if God isn't real, or if Jesus didn't do these things, or if anything isn't true, like his life is a mess. True. I mean, arguably his life is a mess anyway, but Word. yes. So I just, that is, like, that's my big thing with Paul. I can let you talk about this being a letter and like who he's writing to and whatever. But like, I just got to put that out there. Like, this is not someone who's casually writing. It's like, no big deal. No, 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 no. Like, he changed his whole life and dedicated it to this specific mission of, like, creating churches and bringing people to God. There's so much at stake. All this stuff that he's talking about, he's he's not neutral because this is his life and it's it's real, right? So that's really helpful. More context, this letter, actually, we call it 1 Corinthians because it's the first letter to the Corinthians that we have, but it's actually the second letter that Paul wrote. The first letter that he wrote, we don't have access to. It was destroyed, but we know that something preceded the letter that we now call 1 Corinthians. This letter was written in about 51 CE, so that's about 20 years, roughly, um, since the death of Jesus. So as Jackie mentioned, Paul hasn't met Jesus, so he has some big feelings about that, honestly. What he has done is he's gone around his understanding of the world to plant churches. The church in Corinth, the people who were getting this letter from Paul, they hadn't seen him recently, and they were dealing with a lot of issues in church like they were they were fighting with each other and they were fighting with each other about who was following Jesus the right way so there were all these different kind of traveling teachers who were in addition to Paul and so people were sort of dividing themselves up in camps of saying like oh well I follow this guy well I follow this guy having sort of a pissing contest about like who was doing it right they were also having other conflicts amongst themselves. And that's why he's talking about the cross in this section, um, which feels like maybe a weird way to resolve a conflict. But that's kind of what's happening on the ground to lead to what we now think of oftentimes as just kind of theology. It's rooted in trying to figure out how to live together as a church. So basically they're a hot mess. Yes. As are we. So do I read now? Yes, please do. All right. I'm reading and resisting jumping into Kobe Bryant and separately Donald Trump tirade. So here I go. First Corinthians chapter two, verses one through 16. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I didn't come preaching God's secrets to you like I was an expert in speech or wisdom. I had made up my mind not to think about anything while I was with you except Jesus Christ and to preach him as crucified. 
I stood in front of you with weakness, fear, and a lot of shaking. My message and my preaching weren't presented with convincing wise words, but with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. I did this so that your faith might not depend on the wisdom of people, but on the power of God. What we say is wisdom to people who are mature. It isn't a wisdom that comes from the present day or from today's leaders who are being reduced to nothing. We talk about God's wisdom, which has been hidden as a secret. God determined this wisdom in advance, before time began, for our glory. It is a wisdom that none of the present-day rulers have understood, because if they did understand it, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. But this is precisely what is written. God has prepared things for those who love God that no eye has seen or ear has heard or that haven't crossed the mind of any human being. God has revealed these things to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, including the depths of God. Who knows a person's depths except their own spirit that lives in them? In the same way, no one has known the depths of God except God's Spirit. We haven't received the world Spirit but God's Spirit so that we can know the things given to us by God. These are the things we are talking about, not with words taught by human wisdom, but with words taught by the Spirit. We are interpreting spiritual things to spiritual people. But people who are unspiritual don't accept the things from God's Spirit. They are foolishness to them and can't be understood because they can only be comprehended in a spiritual way. Spiritual people comprehend everything, but they themselves aren't understood by anyone. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who will advise him? But we have the mind of Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Before we start verse 6, the little header, which is not real, I will reiterate again, this didn't exist <laughs> when this text was written. It says definition of wisdom, and I just don't feel like the preceding passages help me understand wisdom better. <laughs> no, and I think that's really interesting, too, because one of the commentaries I was reading about this is like, yeah, no, he's sort of being sarcastic, right? Like, like it doesn't come across that way to us because we don't have the same context that they do. Not just in the original translation, but like, it's a little bit of like a you had to be there kind of thing, right? Mm. Okay. All these people are trying to decide who's better than whom based on like which spiritual teacher you're following who talks about like God in the right way. And it has to do with like Greek culture at the time and thinking about, well, this person like has really impressive speeches and like I really like them and whatever. And like Paul can't hold a candle next to these people who speak really well. And so he's not even trying to be in that fight, right? And so he's talking about this different kind of wisdom. But then in the section after verse six, like then it sounds like he's contradicting himself immediately after saying like the kinds of wisdom that are wise to the world are like foolishness and our kind of wisdom looks like foolishness to them. Then he immediately is like, it seems like he's then valuing wisdom when before he was like, foolishness is the way to go, which feels super confusing. But according to these commentaries is like him trying to like use the concepts that people are valuing in a 
different way or something like that? Just the whole, all of this, like, exclusion and, like, you ain't, you ain't got it. You might have it. And that, that is terrifying. Yeah. Like, what do you do with the, we are interpreting spiritual things to spiritual people, but people who are unspiritual don't accept the things from God's spirit. Like, what's going on for you with that? And then, but at the top, like you said, Paul's like, I'm, I'm no expert in wisdom. Like, I ain't saying, but I'm saying though, right? It's like, oh, you messy Paul. Like you start off with, I'm not trying to come to you like I was an expert in speech or wisdom, right? I just know God. I'm just a humble man who has the truth. Right, right. <laughs> That's exactly what he's saying. Uh-huh. And, I, and my truth is going to be proved to you by the Holy Spirit. I'm, yeah. I'm telling you this so that your faith doesn't depend on on other preachers, right? I'm telling you this so that so that you believe in the power of God. It's like, bro, how are you helping? <laughs> well, so so there's one thing I will say in defense of Paul, which Yes, please, you know, cuz Paul needs some help. Paul Paul needs some help. It's true, my friend. So one of the things that we didn't read because it's not in this section, it's not in chapter 2, it's in chapter 1. One, you know, sort of saving grace there is that like he says all these people are kind of saying well i belong to paul i belong to apollos i belong to cephas i belong to christ right so they're like breaking up into all these different teams and then he sort of lays into them for being like did any of those people die for you no jesus died for you so like why do you think they're so special and he includes his own name in that so like i want to give him that credit right that he's he's ranking himself along with everybody else and saying like you don't need to follow me it doesn't matter if you're following me i think he's trying to be there whether or not he actually is there with the rest of what he says is a question but i think he wants to be there that's fair i'll take that i'll take that i think both of us were kind of stressed out by the idea that there are spiritual things that spiritual people get and they understand a whole lot and unspiritual people don't get it right so i was wondering if you had thoughts on that i mean so my knee-jerk reaction is to reject it cool so i feel like what i'm thinking about is concepts that i learned in dr emmanuel larte's african religious traditions class and this idea that in many african religious traditions there is no separation between sacred and secular Mm-hmm. Everything is sacred. Like, like I guess I believe that we are all spiritual beings. And so this idea that someone is unspiritual is making me really uncomfortable. That makes a lot of sense to me. I have a, a roommate who's a Catholic feminist theologian, and she talks a lot about nature and grace and a way that Protestants often kind of don't think about nature as being a really important mode of God's self-revelation we tend to think more about the Bible and think about Jesus as like God's primary revelation of like love and grace. Uh, Whereas in Catholic traditions, there can often be more of a sense of like every part of creation is God's grace, is a manifestation or a, a demonstration of God's unfolding grace in history. So I kind of share your reticence on the unspiritual idea so I, I kind of wonder, how can we read this? I have an interest in reading things from a, a liberationist lens, 
And so I cannot have a text that reads as though there's some exclusion because that seems oppressive in a way that is problematic for me. And I, and I can't have an oppressive God. So I have to read this in a way that includes as many people as possible and is still valuable. Well, I mean, first off, Paul can be wrong and God can still be good. So there's that, right? Come on and preach. I think that like we don't have to necessarily like bail Paul out in order for God to be good. Like we're not trying to save God's reputation here because Paul could just be wrong and that could be in scripture and that could be fine. So there's that. But I don't think we have to just start there. There are a couple of things that I'm thinking about. I think maybe we jumped ahead before we should have. Oh my gosh, I was just going to say that. Yeah, so we're talking about the cross and we're talking about Paul coming to try to get people to have the vision of what reality is and to use Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection as the lens through which they understand reality. And that doing that will change everything. And Paul is saying, if you are looking through Jesus' death by execution by the state and resurrection as a way of destroying all of the powers of empire, right? And destroying them such that life wins for everyone. If that is your lens, then you will not be fighting each other in court (laughs) in this way, right? I think that in verse eight, when we were talking earlier, we had a question about, it is a wisdom that none of the present day rulers have understood because if they did understand it, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. And I think there are a couple of ways to read it that might help thinking about spiritual and unspiritual people, right? One is like, maybe if people in power had understood who Jesus was, they wouldn't have crucified him because they would be like, oh my gosh, you're Jesus, the son of God. I'm so like amazed and now I'm going to change my life and become like a good person and not, you know, supporting an empire or whatever, like maybe. But maybe they just wouldn't have done it because they knew that, like, their power would be destroyed if they had crucified Jesus. Like, Jesus is the ultimate proof that, like, empire cannot win, ultimately. So, like, in some ways, it would be better off in terms of, like, keeping the illusion strong to just not murder the guy who's God. Like, that would be in their better interest. I don't think ultimately there are unspiritual people in the sense that, like, some people are just, like, not connected to God or somehow more profane or secular or whatever. Like, I I don't think that's a thing. I also think that, like, you can choose to disregard the sacredness of another human being, and we do all the time, right? And that's part of what sin is, is dehumanizing other humans, is maintaining uh, structures of oppression in order to prop up our own kind of fragile egos and and identities and trying to build up a sense of ourselves that is based on power over another human being or depriving somebody else of, of resources so that you know we have more and feel better about ourselves and like there are lots of ways that you can deny the spirituality of existence and increasingly convince yourself that that's all there is even when that's not even the truth about yourself and become kind of increasingly disconnected from the truth about yourself which is that you are a child of god in connection with all of these other children of god and therefore make that much easier to enact violence on said other children of god does any of that make sense 
The latter part made perfect sense to me. The beginning part didn't. And the middle part, I think I disagree with. Okay, cool. So what I was trying to articulate with my, I was thinking the same thing was, okay, it is unfair for me to focus on verse 14. Let me try to figure out a way to take all of this in context, right? So I'm starting at six. What other clues does this text give me about what verse 14 is talking about? And looking at this as a whole, or at least six through 16, what I'm telling myself is, well, actually, perhaps Paul, knowingly or unknowingly, is agreeing with my position on, or the African religious tradition position on, there not actually being a separation between sacred and secular. Maybe he's sort of backdooring this idea that, but people who are unspiritual don't accept the things from God's spirit is like those people are actually just not engaging in what I think some people will call the third eye. Those folks just aren't tapping in to the spirit in them. Those people are trying to operate with an empire versus God mentality, right? Or with, with a split mind. And when you try to operate with a split mind, you're going to miss some stuff in the spirit because you're trying to shut that part of you off. Because remember, you have access to the spirit. Yeah, you have access to the secular too, but, but, but remember, right? There's something very real about the spirit, something that we can't always understand, that we can't see, something that I'm not an expert of, right, or about, but it's there. Because I have to believe, based on everything else around verse 14, that Paul does think folks have access to the spirit. Now, what, what, what I'm still having a problem with, right? So even if I can redeem verse 14 by looking at the entire context, then I'm, then I'm like, okay, my issue with this reference to present day rulers and, and not having crucified the Lord of glory, what's hard for me with Paul evoking this spiritual nature, right? The faith statement of calling Jesus the Lord of glory. D- don't we think that there was divine value in their ultimate decision to crucify? Like we, like we needed those steps in order to get to the cross or like, that actually wasn't a decision being made by them cognitively, but sort of all a part of God's plan. I wonder if we accept verse eight, where does it take us? What's the logical conclusion? What's the logical end that we end up with? If we're saying that there's any value in the crucifixion, then we need Jesus to get to the crucifixion. So what is this now about? If the rulers had known better, he wouldn't have got to the crucifixion. So I, I think you and I do actually have a, a different atonement theory. So atonement being like, what does it mean that Jesus was crucified and resurrected? Like, what meaning does that make for Christians, right? And I think we do have kind of different starting places. So I can tell you what I think about it or what I'm currently trying to work through, which is just like I think that Jesus had to have free will because that's part of what being a human means. And if Jesus is fully human, in addition to being fully divine, like he can't have those choices taken away from him in order to be more godly, right? So that's a thing that stresses Jackie out. She's making a lot of faces at me right now. But for that same reason, I don't think that the people who crucified Jesus under the Roman Empire, right, Pontius Pilate and all them, I don't think God somehow influenced or manipulated them in order to like ease the way into Jesus' crucifixion. Because I fundamentally think that our God values freedom as part of how we have relationship with God. I don't think that they were entirely free, right? Because I don't think anybody is entirely free. That's part of what empires do. That's part of 
really just what society in general does is your choices are constricted in part by the language that you speak and like how your society understands gender and like what money does and you know all of these different things that can be really helpful in navigating a world filled with other human beings, but also limit our choices and in that way limit our freedom. So there's that. But I don't think that God did that either to Jesus or to the people who crucified Jesus any more than any other human being. I don't think, I think that they had the ability to not crucify Jesus in the sense that God didn't extra special make them. So the way that I'm reading verse 8 is that like Jesus was more holy than other human beings. Absolutely. Jesus was God in addition to being a human being. We are not God, but we are holy in that we are beloved by God. And really, like if we really understood that, if we really could see how beloved we each are, we would not be running things the way that we are running things. Like we would not be crucifying anybody. We would not have the death penalty. We would not be... We would not have wars. We would not be, you know, denying people health care because they don't have money. We would not be denying people housing. If we really saw the sacredness of every human being, regardless of anything, there would not be empires. So, yeah, if they understood what they were seeing in Jesus, they wouldn't have killed him because they wouldn't be killing anybody. So then your response to what I'm calling the intentional use of the divine language, Lord of glory. It's just acknowledging the divinity in a human, Jesus, same as acknowledging the divinity in any other human. I think that there's a extra special you done fucked up about it. <laughs> it's a technical term. Of all people, right? You choose this guy. Like, yeah, that's a problem. Like, I like Jesus is the Lord who presides over all other humans right like his humanity is what blesses human flesh i would have liked this better i would have liked this better if this read more about the ways in which the sadducees and the pharisees were pressing jesus over traditions that weren't important because then to me we get closer to empire and secular versus sacred right and we get closer to this y'all was worried about the wrong thing and y'all killed the person who was worried about the right thing who was worried about you know, community and people and wasn't worried about who was doing what and how they were doing it. That I would have liked better. That fits neater within my like theological box. So again, may maybe I need to be do a word search or maybe I would need to do some more exploration about what verse eight is saying in different translations because I don't like it. I think it's easy to problematically preach today, like in 2020, right? Because I think if you're not being careful, you read this as Trump or whoever your representative is that you don't like is not filled with the Holy Spirit because of the things that they're doing. And I, I don't want to get into in-group and out-group. Yeah, I think that, again, like in chapter one, we see that there's this call for Christians to be united in Christ, to be to be one in Christ. And then later what we see is like, the reason why Paul gives is because of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And it seems like Paul doesn't want to exclude other people. His best impulse is to not exclude. His starting point in just trying to like see reality is like Jesus' love 
while being the most vulnerable that a human being can be, right? And so like that's sort of how he thinks that we should be seeing reality, like start there and reorganize society after that. So I think that he has a clear sense of like, if that is the spiritual way of looking at the world, you're going to be interacting with each other in a very different way. That the political leaders have a lot of incentive to not base their social programs of various stripes on the needs of the most vulnerable people in their society. So they have a reason to not see that person or those people as the starting point. You referred to the reference to Jesus as a nod toward love. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm reading it that way. So in verse two, it says, I made up my mind not to think about anything while I was with you except Jesus Christ and to preach him as crucified. So to me, that is a very specific, like very intentional statement on, on Paul's part. When I read preach him as crucified, I'm thinking Jesus as um, suffering and dying for sin, sin being failing to be in community with one another. What Paul doesn't say is, is, and I am preaching him crucified and resurrected. So I don't know that Paul's giving me enough to say, well, okay, really the point of this is for Paul to point out the, the Holy Spirit, right? And to remind people of the promise of the Holy Spirit to come after Jesus when Jesus goes back up um, after the resurrection. So then I'm like, okay, Paul is evoking this memory of Jesus dying on the cross to save humanity or to bring folks into community or the ways in which Jesus included everyone on the cross. So what does that, what does verse two mean for how I interpret verse eight is really what I'm getting at and what I'm trying to process. To your point about, well, how do we think about Paul's reference to Jesus Christ? I just don't think that you can talk about the crucifixion without immediately thinking about the resurrection, including Paul. Because like for Paul, crucifixion and resurrection are the same thing. I mean, not, they're not, he's not, he not talking about Saturday separate from Sunday. Right. <laughs> he's talking about Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> right, exactly. Jesus' crucifixion is the thing that he is emphasizing here. But like within that is also implicit. And to what end was Jesus crucified, right? Like you cannot kill life itself. That's what we learned through Jesus' crucifixion. Like, and they wouldn't have tried it if they knew, if they really knew. If they if they got it that Jesus was is life, right? Or if they appreciated the power of God, right? If they really knew the power of God, if they really knew that they couldn't kill life, they wouldn't have even tried. So, does it solve our spiritual unspiritual problem at all? I don't think it does, and I don't think it it. So, I, so I identify as a universalist, and what I mean when I say that is, I believe that. To the extent that there's a heaven, everyone's going. Know that I believe that you have to confess a belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in order to be saved. Insert air quotes where appropriate. But I can't help but read six through eight as talking about a wisdom that some folks have and some folks don't have. Yeah, I mean, I might just disagree with you. Um, I, and like, this is not something I want to read, right? Like, this is a problem for me in the text. Yeah, no. Because what's causing them to not know? What's causing them to, to be failing to use that wisdom? I mean, that happens to me all the time. And I talk about Jesus more than I talk about basically anything else, like maybe food. But 
there are plenty of times where I don't see God or I don't see somebody else as fully human or I say something without recognizing the impact it might have on somebody else, right? Like, and I would argue that those are some pretty unspiritual moments. Like, not that spiritual is the same as like goodness per se, but like, if I really like felt that another person's reality was like deep and complex then maybe i wouldn't run my mouth so much you know like i don't think that that means that i'm separated from god in that moment but i am perhaps separated from like the knowledge that like i and the other person are equally children of god that's it that gets me out of the problem okay and i would love to tie this up in a bow by saying two things one If we can get ourselves to a place where we can remember the true power of God and that you can't kill life, I'm not suggesting that we don't hurt and feel angry and frustrated about the deaths that happened last Sunday, but I do think there's a way that we can feel good about the way in which we live and continue memory and legacy, right? There's a way in which we can live in the wisdom and in the knowledge of the Holy Spirit that makes sure that we don't think that just because body is injured or dead, that life is quelled, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And then the other bow I'd like to put on this is the tasks that I'm facing at work perhaps can be a reflection of me not being fully tapped into the spirit and perhaps not being able to see, one, the goodness of God, and two, that life can't be quenched. That phrasing is so powerful to me and it's so moving to me that's the bow that I'd like to put on it. This was a hard one, Isaiah. Yeah, it was super hard. I'm sorry. My brain but hurts. My brain kind of also hurts. <laughs> so, so, that being said, go. Live as free people. Whew. Keep the faith, baby. <laughs> Under God was created by Jackie Newsom and Isaiah Lewis. Our music is by Broke for Free. first of all my tent fell again and i quit (laughs) i thought you i thought you were just hiding